0: Well, we are back in here at the end of September, closing out the month on the latest edition of the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. I am, wow, the somewhat distracted host of the program, for reasons I'll explain in a moment, T.J. Reeves. He is the owner, the operator, the guy you read all over SportsMediaWatch.com. Dr. John Lewis, a.k.a. Paulson. Uh, is he Paulson? Is Paulson him? Yes, they are one in the same. Good to be back with you right about now. It is a crazy time where I am because – Hurricane Ian is making its way to the Gulf of Mexico. Full disclosure, as we put this podcast together on Tuesday early in the week, I uh, expected to make landfall in Florida overnight, Wednesday night into Thursday morning. We are not sure how much it's going to threaten where I am, John, in the West Central Florida region, the Tampa Bay area versus south of us. And hurricanes are unpredictable as well. But in, in any event, We've got a time period right now, a time frame where I have the availability to be with you and get the podcast out. So we're doing that. Again, our, uh, our awareness is that this is coming to the state of Florida could fe- could affect a lot of college football and even the Buccaneer Chiefs NFL game, which we'll get into in a few minutes. But in any event, I just wanted to share that with the audience. How are you as we wrap up the month of September? How are things?
1: Uh, You know, uh, certainly not having to deal with any hurricane concerns. So that's good. Uh, But we did have seven turkey vultures in our backyard today. So,
0: (laughs) Okay, so the first inclination there is what had died in the backyard that the turkey vultures are coming to find, because that's usually what the case is, right?
1: Uh, They were eating something, but you're not
0: going to go out to inspect is what you're saying here. Not on that. Um, all right, so in any event, uh, we rock on here with lots of subject matter from college football to the NFL to Aaron Judge's home run chase. You know, when we left the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast last week, we were curious, could he get the record tied or break the record right away uh, as we released the podcast and we had talked to Ryan Rucco of the Yes Network and WFAN. He tied the, uh, the Babe Ruth portion of the record with the 60th home run on that Tuesday night as we were releasing the podcast late Tuesday and into Wednesday. But as we release for, for Tuesday night, late Tuesday night and Wednesday here, judge may have done something Tuesday night. He still hasn't gotten to the 61st home run right now. So it's just kind of interesting that five or six days later, he didn't hit another one as of yet while we're talking.
1: Well, uh, you know, bound to happen. Kind of like when Serena came back from maternity leave and she was one short of of, uh, getting to uh, the market court number. And she just couldn't do it, right? Sometimes she would even psych herself out a little bit. When you get right to that edge, you know, it can be tough. You even saw a little bit of it, didn't you, with Steph when he was going for the three-point shot? There was a game against Indiana where it's like the Pacers, you know, he probably had broken it that night, and he didn't break it. Luckily for everyone, the next game was in New York. Worked out quite well for the <laughs> NBA. But, uh, you know, that's uh, the breaks of the game. You get to that that last one can be a tough one.
0: That is true. Or the toughest one, uh, as it turns out. And again, he's been on such a home run tear. We'll see. And it may be fatigue and the pressure of the games because now the games take on much more significance at the end here with the Yankees trying to lock up the division and the number one seed in the American League. All right. So more on that coming up. Lots of college football, lots of NFL that we're going to be discussing And we're also going to be joined by an insider as well here from the college football world. Uh, John, I know we're looking forward to a conversation with John Wilner of the San Jose Mercury News. Explain a little more about why you wanted to get him on the podcast here.
1: Well, you know, uh, certainly a lot of talk about the Pac-12 conference situation. And uh, who better to talk to about that than the person who reported the USC and UCLA move to the Big Ten. So very few people as plugged in.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt about that. So we're anxious to find out not so much the information by itself uh, from him as an insider, but I love the how. I I love how the sausage is made on how you come up with these things as much as he's willing to share with us. So we are anxious and we are looking forward to that. Obviously, there is a bunch that we're going to go over here. Let's begin with the college football. Again, I say to the audience, I, I had a wild time Getting to Lubbock, Texas, from Florida, and getting back to Florida for what was a thrilling Texas Tech win over Texas in overtime. ESPN televised it all over the country. I was working the game on national radio with Tiki Barber for Compass Media Networks. We were on over a hundred stations, as it turns out, uh, for that game as well as online. Um, so we had a we had a great football game to call. Never been to Lubbock, which again is four hours west of Dallas through the desert. Uh, a western part of Texas to get to Lubbock that is some scene John I can report back and they were just slightly excited and amped up to beat Texas in what is likely the final time they will get to play them in Lubbock they may play them in Austin next year unless Texas is on to the SEC a year early So that it was I just should report back. It was a great college atmosphere, a tremendous game, had a lot of fun with that. And there's there's fantastic college football finishes going on all over the place here in the month of September. But that was a fun one to do.
1: Yeah, uh, very uh, unusual events happening in college football this year. Florida State is ranked. That's very, very unusual (laughs) So, you know, look, it's uh, it's college football. This time of year is always a lot of fun.
0: But then again, there are some things that remain the same. Alabama is steamrolling. Uh, Ohio State just clobbered Wisconsin. Let's get into that. That was the primetime ABC a game and uh, obviously a blowout when we got done broadcasting our game, we went, got back to the hotel and then got to a restaurant to get settled and kind of decompress Tiki and the compass crew and I, and we're looking up and it's already 28 to nothing or whatever, Ohio state, not much of a game. And obviously that correlates to a disappointing number for their main game on Saturday night. Right.
1: Well, you know, the reality of the matter is this is kind of what the big 10 is to an extent. It is somewhat, I wouldn't say top heavy necessarily, but you're not going to get the same quality of games that I have said before, week in and week out, as you will for, you know, the SEC. Uh, and uh, you got 2.4, 4.6 million on ABC. I mean, that's not a bad number given the blowout. But, you know, I mean, it, it's, you know, it's not a tremendous number. I it's kind of mediocre.
0: When it's significantly less, wasn't the Notre Dame, Ohio State, and Notre Dame's a different well, factor, of du- yeah. more than double of that, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, over correct. 10 million. And that's, so that's a close
1: game involving Notre
0: Dame, right? You, Wisconsin
1: yeah. is not a team people are overwhelmingly excited to watch. And they're not,
0: they're not that good this year either. They've already lost to Washington State at home. And you've been on the front end on this. I give you your props here of saying that when we get to the expanded TV contract with standalone windows, Big Noon on Fox Eastern Time, 3.30 Eastern Time on CBS, and then a primetime game on NBC, that's the Big Ten's contract, it will be difficult for them, USC in the mix or not to come up with three quality standalone games every week. You've been yeah. saying that and you're continuing to say that. And and for example yeah. like Michigan State was was in a good window against Washington and they were bad and and John Michigan State got wiped out by Minnesota this past weekend. So it mm-hmm. it really I mean it really is looking like Michigan and Ohio State are the front runners and then the rest of the pack is kind of take it or leave it right now in the big 10 for these, these national standalone games.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, uh, again, the big 10 has some of the most popular teams in the country. Uh, but you know, it's, you know, I, I don't think top to bottom, it's as strong a conference for TV as the SEC It's a conference that includes Rutgers and Illinois, you know, I mean, we're not, I I mean, granted, the SEC has Vanderbilt and Missouri and, Mm -hmm. uh, well, so I mean that's pretty much it though, as far as SEC teams that nobody wants to watch. Am I am I right? Well, but well, like
0: South Carolina, Kentucky's been better as of late. There are some that, that don't think, usually contend right. and don't have a massive market that's around them, or the whole state is embracing them, for example. Right. So there's only yeah, a few I mean, to your point. Yeah.
1: And I, I just feel like with the Big Ten, you have more of those schools. So I mentioned Rutgers and Illinois, but even schools like you know, um, I would say even Minnesota to an extent. I mean, when Minnesota good, they obviously have the state rallying around them, but their reputation with, with college uh, programs, it's also the reputation of the program. Uh, and I think even school, even a school like Kentucky has been good more often than some of these other schools in the big 10, they, they have, there are more schools in the big 10 that are kind of like frozen in mediocrity for years on end. Whereas in the SEC, South Carolina's good every now and again, Kentucky's good every now and again. Only really Vanderbilt and Mizzou are consistently subpar.
0: But Mizzou fans will say, "Hey, they won the SEC East a few years ago. What, 2013? Oh, yeah, you're right. More than that, but it hasn't been recent. And they they've been better, but yes, in terms of contending. The argument can be made interesting that ABC this week will have the ACC showdown of Clemson who won in double overtime last week with Wake Forest. They're a big brand. They've won national titles. They're playing NC state. Who's good. Both teams in the top 10. Yeah. But as we often talk about on the sports dot podcast, how does that translate? Do they care about that in the Midwest? Do mm. they care about it at all in the West Clemson NC state for a national game? That's the that's the struggle you have there in the primetime window, because that's that's a big deal in the Carolinas. Is it a big right. deal anywhere else, John? I wonder.
1: Well, you know, you can even just look at this past weekend, Clemson overtime against Wake Forest. And that was beaten head to head by Maryland, Michigan. Right. Pretty comfortably. That's the advantage the Big Ten has. The so Big Ten, even though it it's not it doesn't have the depth, in my view, to support three different windows, uh, you know, at, at a certain level. It is a conference that, you know, I mean, you're you're better off having that than the ACC. You're better off having the Big Ten than anything other than the SEC.
0: And think about the TV markets, and this is the reason why they were able to make the deals they made. John knows this, and we're just articulating it for the audience, that when you're talking about Chicago, Detroit, Cleveland, uh, Minneapolis, Indianapolis, that all care about whether Ohio State or Michigan loses – then that's a, that's a big deal, obviously, right. in helping those ratings. So there we go on college football, and we'll see what happens for this week. And this might be a little a little bit of a, of a lesser week, although they are uh, prepping with Alabama at Arkansas on CBS. And again, John, I, I plug. I'm not just doing self-promotion here. I will have the privilege with Tiki Barber of calling Alabama and Texas A&M now in primetime. CBS has announced that. CBS has got a doubleheader. Primetime October 8th will be Alabama, Texas A&M. And you know the SEC and CBS TV network, they want an Alabama win this weekend, even though they won't admit it. They want a Texas A&M win again this weekend at Mississippi State. And then they get number one Alabama against one loss, Texas A&M, in that game. Yeah, There's a lot of meat on the bone there, if that's what they can get uh, coming up in primetime in a couple of weeks. Let's move over to the NFL before our special guest uh, joins us again. I scrambled back for Buccaneers Packers which was not a tremendous offensive game. I'm being kind. It ended 14 to 12 with Green Bay stopping the Buccaneer two-point tying play. I thought I was going to get two overtimes in back-to-back days. Buccaneers (laughs) and Packers headed to overtime. It didn't happen. Rodgers and Green Bay get the win. That game, not a lot of offense. And then, my goodness, uh, San Francisco-Houston in primetime on NBC, (laughs) eh, Sunday night, 11 to 10. 11 to 10, hello. And then Monday night, not a lot of offense for a while before the Cowboys finally beat the Giants. John, uh, not exactly great games, not great offensive showcases for the for the biggest uh, rated games you would have thought on Fox, NBC and Monday Night Football on ESPN. Right.
1: Well, the NFL for the last few years, you know, has been giving us some really good games. That whole thing where NFL ratings were down and, you know, Trump and the rest of them were doing all their stuff. It just so happened to be that those were two years where the NFL was putting terrible games in prime time on a weekly basis. And it just so happens that the years when the ratings have been up have been years when those prime time windows have actually been really good. Surprise, surprise, right? It's the quality of play that matters. And uh, this past week was a little 2017 ish in in terms of the quality of the games and part of that's the NFL's own fault. The 49ers aren't an entertaining team to watch, right? I I know they didn't expect Garoppolo to be out there. They thought Trey Lance would be, but you know, the 49ers aren't aren't an entertaining team. The Broncos aren't either. And I know they got Russell Wilson, but they're not an entertaining Mm -hmm. team. It's not an entertaining matchup. 49ers, Broncos, all West coast, you know, Uh, the reality of the matter is that looked like a game that was going to be dreary to watch. Uh, Face the competition from Red Sox Yankees, which was the most watched Sunday night baseball game in the month of September in t- uh, twelve years since twenty ten.
0: Getting back to the Judge yeah. home run chase being exactly. part of that, because the rivalry isn't that big a deal because the Red Sox are not a playoff contender, right, John?
1: Exactly. Well, it's always a big deal. I will say, um, now it's only two, it's shy or just over two million viewers. We're not talking about you know some massive, massive number. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the previous two weeks, Sunday Night Baseball had been under 800,000. So they go from under 800,000 to over 2 million. So that was much greater competition. And the game wasn't very good. Now, last night, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, the, the ratings are delayed as of late Tuesday afternoon. Uh, it's Cowboys, Giants, but the Giants aren't very good. And it really wasn't a very good game. Not very anything. It seemed like it was beneath Buck and Aikman to be doing it. Which is odd because it's Cowboys Giants, right? But you know, it, it just did not come off like a particularly good game and yeah, you know, very hard to but watch. Still
0: Dallas won it and the mm-hmm. Cowboys we keep talking about are worth three, four, five million dollars yeah. five million extra eyeballs because there's a hate factor. There's a real hate factor nationally. nationally to watch them lose. So But you know, it's
1: so interesting that there is that because you know, if you are Let's say you're 25 years old. You're no mm-hmm. spring chicken necessarily. Leonardo DiCaprio has no interest in you, right? You're 25. You're a real <laughs> adult, right? You can rent a car. So if you're 25 years old, that means you were born in 1997, which mm-hmm. is pretty devastating for the rest of us, right? Yeah, which I'm means you were born after the Cowboys last won a Super Bowl, right? Now, I mean, what is, what is the hate that you have as a 25-year-old for the Dallas Cowboys? I mean...
0: Even a good a point, but, I mean, a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of football is hereditary and passed down. And so if your parent, if your father more than likely or your father and mother hated the Cowboys mm-hmm. or your grandfather, grandmother hated the cow, it's kind of passed down generation right. to generation. If you're an Eagle fan, yeah. Giant fan, now Washington Commanders fan or Steelers fan they- or whoever they, they pass down, you do not root for the Cowboys. You root against the Cowboys no matter what. And they. Do people understand that the Knicks have been to the finals more recently than the Cowboys have been? No, the they don't understand that, to answer your question. I know it's probably a rhetorical question, but no, they don't yeah, understand. I mean, that.
1: It's, I mean it, it's it's amazing because, you know, uh, my first awareness of the Dallas Cowboys, uh, Quincy Carter was their quarterback. You know what I mean? Right. Like, There's never been a time in my life where I've gone, oh, wow, the Cowboys, you know. I
0: mean, I was aware of when they were winning in the mid-90s. but Even with, even with Tony Romo, that would be – Uh, Obviously. Okay. So another, uh, another interesting uh, part of all of this is uh, again, involving the hurricane, the Buccaneer chiefs game. uh, John Lewis is supposed to be the Sunday night game on NBC at the moment. Again, this will evolve. And you may know, as we release the podcast, what the NFL decides to do about where is the Buccaneer chief game being played? Because again, uh, it may or may not affect Tampa. Uh, In Tampa Bay, Tampa, St. Pete, Clearwater, Hurricane Ian, but it's going to affect the state of Florida. The Buccaneers have already moved their practice uh, to Miami to practice for a couple of days. Where is the game going to be played? And there is precedent for NBC moving off of a game, even as recently as 2020 for COVID-19 reasons. They moved off the Buccaneer Raiders game and made that a Fox game and then moved, what, Seattle, Arizona, I believe, moved into a primetime, and they did that late in the week that week when all the COVID-19 positives came. So NBC may move off the Buccaneer chiefs game. And then my understanding is that game will become a CBS game and they may very well take a CBS game for Sunday night. We don't know John that that's going to happen, but we'll just keep that in mind. So for the, for the yeah. Sunday night primetime game, it's kind of in flux for a moment.
1: Well, we'll see. I think it was a lot easier to move games two years ago. Cause fans were not able to attend the whole thing is you don't want to make things too inconvenient for your fans i mean granted it's the nfl they can do whatever they want to anybody and no one can really do anything about it but you don't want to tick your fans off and i think the teams would be pretty ticked off too it would have to be a late game you can't move a 1 p.m game to eight o'clock on this short notice it would have to be a four o'clock game in my view you know maybe i'm way off now remember nbc did once lose a sunday night window altogether because of snow back in 2010 and it was Vikings Eagles and they moved it to Tuesday night back when a Tuesday night game was a once in a lifetime deal, not just something that happens every few weeks because, you know, like you can't necessarily rule out that there won't be a Tuesday night game this year. You know what I mean?
0: There was a Tuesday Uh, night game and even a Wednesday night game in the 2020 COVID uh, craziness because of games being delayed. You're exactly right. Absolutely.
1: And so, you know, uh, it's, it's happened before. I think the game will probably be played And it probably will be played Sunday night because I just think if you're the NFL, like you can't justify moving. Certainly Patriots Packers isn't moving. CBS isn't going to allow that. Now you could move Broncos Raiders, the secondary game on CBS. You can't really move Cardinals Panthers because then Fox does not have a late window for its single header. So the only game that I think they could move would be Broncos Raiders, which Those are two teams that are on national
0: TV. Keep in mind, in terms of matchup, you have the Bills and the Ravens. That's supposed to be the number two crew of Iron Eagle, Charles Davis, who we had on this podcast last week. But you're contending that that's an earlier game, to move it to a night game for the fans and for NBC, and then move the Buccaneers and the Chiefs to an early window with those guys doing it. Again, it would be a CBS game because of Kansas City. We'll see. All of this is hypothetical. We don't know. We're just going over it here midweek on what might they do. We don't know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, the good thing is if it's Broncos Raiders, you don't have to worry about pushing up against the max number of games because there's no way NBC is going to want them in uh, Denver <laughs> in primetime too much often. Well, this and bear
0: week. in mind, NBC also just had the Broncos with the 49ers the previous week. They don't often like to have the same one back to back weeks, but it's circumstances. Okay. So again, we'll see what the NFL elects to do or not. Uh, coming up. So uh, we'll get back to some NFL probably here in a little bit. But, John Lewis, we got a special guest who's joining us uh, right now on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. Go ahead and do the honors.
1: Yeah, well, we sure do. And uh, all the talk going on right now in college sports is about realignment and centers so much on the Pac-12. So we thought it would be good to have the reporter who broke the USC and UCLA moves to the Big Ten and someone who's been very plugged into the Pac-12 media rights negotiations, John Wilner, join us this week of the San Jose Mercury News. Uh, John, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. And uh, I guess where I'll start is that report, USC and UCLA. It was a real bombshell. It came out the same day that the Durant trade happened. And if not for that, uh, would not would have been probably the single biggest story in all of sports. Uh, what was that experience like, one, first, when did you start to hear that this was in the works and then nailing it down and then uh, really being the person to uh, make that public to the sports world? What was that whole experience like?
2: Well, uh, it feels like it was both the three hours ago and about three years ago at the same time. You know, the the whole situation with USC leaving the Pac-12 and the Big Ten potentially expanding because their media rights were being negotiated You know, there was stuff like low level percolation of, you know, is USC going to leave? And I did my best to kind of keep tabs on that all through last winter and spring. Uh, But it was the it was a very tight circle once once it became a reality within the Big Ten and within the with Fox executives, you know, it was really a very tight circle of people who realized it was actually going to happen. And I did not know until that morning, the 30th, when I got a tip and I got a tip and then I started calling people and nobody was picking up the phone, which made me think the tip was true. And then I was able to get, uh, you know, I don't remember exactly how long it took, maybe 30, 45 minutes could have been longer. I don't think I took a breath the entire time. Uh, but then I was able to get it pinned down at, I want to say it was like ten fifteen Pacific. And then, you know, you type it up on that little Twitter box and you, you hit the send button. And, um, at that point I knew I was, I, I was a hundred percent correct in it. I had it pinned down because that's not one you can miss on. Right. Uh, and so then I hit send and, everything just kind of unfolded from there. It was wild. I was working in my garage that morning uh, and I did not leave the garage for 10 hours except for one restroom break. I didn't eat until like nine or 10 o'clock that night. It was, it was unlike anything I'd ever experienced really. I mean, it's the biggest, in some ways it's the biggest change in college sports and the history of the West coast, right? Because the USC and UCLA have been part of the PAC 12 or Whatever it's been called for, a hundred years, right? And now all of a sudden, these you know anchor schools are going to a conference two thousand miles away, right? That's the thing that makes it different from Oklahoma and Texas leaving the Big Twelve. Is the sec the sec is right next door, right? I mean, there's a there's already a school in Texas that's in the sec, so uh, the Austin campus joining is not a big deal. This was something unlike anything that college sports has experienced, in my opinion. It would be like Ohio State leaving the Big Ten for the SEC, right?
1: Yeah, it's a, certainly that is such a big part of it. Uh, realistically, we're talking about the breakdown of the regional logic of college sports, right? Yep. We're getting to a point now where, I mean, it's fairly arbitrary. UCLA and USC, the Big Ten is not necessarily linked in terms of name to a conference. It's not the Southeastern Conference or the Atlantic Coast Conference, but certainly we know it's a Midwestern conference even with Rutgers in there. And uh, that's kind of the beginning of the end of some structure to the uh, conference affiliation. Uh, so when you report this story, you know you have it 100% you know, uh, down pat. Uh, But was there any pushback to anything that you reported? Like, was there any uh, circumstance where there was some misdirection, where people tried to get you off the trail?
2: Uh, No, there was none. There was none. I mean, quite frankly, my, you know, my calls that, you know, I did end up getting a couple of people on the phone that morning. And it became clear to me that the Pac-12 itself was unsure of what was going on. You know, I, I I think I I feel like I had it pinned down before they knew for sure. Because you know, USC and UCLA weren't talking to them. <clears throat> and I wanna say it was, you know, three or four o'clock Pacific before the big ten presidents voted or officially approved it and the announcements came out. So uh the the, the Pac 12 was, you know, they were blindsided by it there's there's no doubt about that uh, but no I didn't get any pushback uh, uh, the people the few people I talked to uh, before I published you know were able to confirm and and uh, that that was that and you know I was vague the the initial report because of the fact big big Ten presidents hadn't approved it, you know, with realignment, you never know. Right. My, I feel like n- nothing's ever final until it's final and sometimes not even then. And so I was very careful with that tweet to make sure it was clear that it hadn't been approved by the Big Ten presidents because you never know. But certainly at that point, at 1015 Pacific on on the morning of June 30th, the USC and UCLA had every intention of leaving the Pac-12. They were just waiting for final approval.
0: And uh, again, as we talk with John Wilner of the uh, San Jose Mercury News, thank you again for hanging out with uh, John and me. Uh, here on the podcast, uh, I'm I'm very curious about a couple things. First of all, Oklahoma and Texas did the same thing to the big 12. They never told them. Yep. And then suddenly you're just finding out, Oh, they're, Oh, they're leaving uh, on that. John. Uh, the next thing is I want to go back. I'm fascinated by this on the, how go back to being in the garage. How, how often are you working in the garage? Is it daily? Is it every other day, every once <laughs> in a while, you just happen to be in the garage that day. That's the first thing on the how, and then I got a follow up.
2: Well, uh, it basically, I wasn't working in the garage until I got my first call. And then I said to my wife, <laughs> I think there's going to be a cat 17 storm here. And she said, you should go in the garage. Mm. Uh, so I don't usually work in there. No, uh, I understand. That was one of the deals where I couldn't, you know, the stuff with the kids. Exactly. My niece was actually in town and we had all these plans for me to do stuff with them. And that was all oh. just blown up uh, that day. So, yeah, uh, fortunately, my wife is a for, former journalist and uh, understood the magnitude of the situation and also uh, what my responsibilities were going to be going to be that day. But, you know, you're right about the Big, t- the big t- 12 situation with Texas and Oklahoma. And, and the reason I never thought UCLA would leave the Pac-12 is I never thought it would get approved by the University of California Board of Regents and the system president because of what it would do to Cal and how it would unhinge everything on the, within the state. And it turned out that that was true because if they had made it, gone through the official channels, they would never have been allowed to leave. The only way they could get out was by being quiet about it. And I just, you know, kick myself for not thinking through in those terms that US, UCLA's only uh, exit plan would have had to entail being super secret about it.
0: Okay, my follow up to this, because again, we're, we're curious about all aspects, but we love the reporting part, the sports media part. So you get the tip, as you described it, and you now have someone confirming it where you set in the garage, not going out to do things with the kids and the knees on, I've got to have a second, yes, that this is happening. And maybe you did. And then when that yes comes through, what's going through your mind before you go to put all of this together, that now this is really happening and I've got it. Take us through that from what you remember. Well, my, f- my first
2: tip was 99%, right? for one of these, something of that magnitude, you know, it has to be, it can't even be a hundred percent. It has got to be 10,000%. Right. Uh, and so fortunately, uh, when I eventually got a confirmation, it was to the degree it it met the bar, right. For me, for a, a, a story of that magnitude. And so that's, that's when, uh, I went with it. And then, you know, you're always, and there's a little bit inside baseball, but, you know, so in my situation, the question is, do you break the news on Twitter in two sentences? or? When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running.
3: Download the Viator app now and use code VIATOR10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
2: Whatever it is. Or do I write a story and break the news with a traditional story that would be on our website? And my calculation was I had to, the most important thing was to be first. And the only way to ensure being first was going on Twitter, uh, because I thought for sure somebody else was going to get it, whether it was ESPN or The Athletic, SI, you know, all they all have tremendous journalists covering college football. And when I first heard about it, got the tip, I went on Twitter and checked and lo and behold, nobody had reported it. And so then, you know, the clock is ticking in my head. I really don't want to get beat on this, but I was really having trouble getting confirmation. And so once I finally did, I just thought the most important thing then was to be was absolutely to be first. Right. Even though it would have been great to break the news with an actual article instead of a one or two sentence tweet. Uh, I couldn't risk, I didn't think even two minutes, five minutes to type up a few paragraphs. So I just went ahead and did it on Twitter.
1: Interesting point about the competition in that uh, in that realm. Uh, who is for you, if you don't mind naming a specific person, who is that nemesis, that You know, (laughs) when when you're writing, you've got them in the back of your head. Like, we know that Wojnarowski is always thinking about Shams and vice versa when they're writing. It's like, I can't let him get it first. Who is that person that you're like, okay, ah, I got to get this? We're going to
0: find out now. Does he want to give that up about the nemesis in his head? We're going to find out. Oh, yeah, that's
2: true. (laughs) Well, the thing is, I don't even look at it as a nemesis. All right. I mean, it's just other. Every and you know, I do different stuff than other reporters. Everybody has their own specific area of of uh, expertise. Uh, but you know, a story like that, certainly, the first thing that comes to my head would be you know, uh, ESPN with Adam Rittenberg, Pete Thamel, the The Athletic, Nicole Arback, who does a tr- phenomenal job covering college football in general, and also you know has has a lot of ties to the Big Ten you know, Ross Dellinger from SI and, and, and uh, Pat Forty, you know, so that's just some of the people who cover that type of issue, uh, you know, realignment, and would have sources that would, you know, that are really great sources and, and ties, you know, connections within the big with big 10, that would be some of them, but I don't also look at them at all as nemesis. Right. I mean, they're just, there are other really good reporters and I have good relationships with all of them. And uh, you know, it was just, you know, everybody gets, you know, gets lucky. Right. And I got fortunate in that regard that I heard from somebody and then was able to confirm it, but I was sure that they were also working on it. And I think it probably Nicole had, had, had it and, uh, I think, to a greater level of detail even than I did within minutes, right? Which was not a surprise to me at all. She's so well-sourced.
1: Yeah. Well, maybe nemesis isn't the right word. Maybe it's friendly rivalry, right? Who is that chief rival, the Nadal to your Federer and vice versa? <laughs> so. Uh, So we've talked about the process of writing this story, but let's get into the nitty gritty, the impact of what's going on. Uh, Tell us if you can, where do things stand? You had reported that the PAC-12 was in an exclusive negotiating window with the SBN and Fox. You've said consistently that Fox's interest is not really expected to be real, that they are not uh, expected to be a real contender here. There's been the reporting that's been done now that Amazon could be in the mix. And actually, on that point, maybe that's where we can start. You've reported that the Pac 12 wants Amazon, but how much does Amazon want the Pac 12?
2: That is the 40 billion 40 million dollar question per school per year, 50 million per school per year. That's right. That's what we don't know. I, I honestly do not know the degree to which Amazon is, is interested. Right. Uh, I, I kind of assume that there is some interest because they were certainly interested in the big 10, right? Uh, big 10, they made a good bid uh, and the big 10 said, said, no, thanks. So uh, is, is the majority of the interest in that kind of partnership being uh, pushed by the PAC 12 or is it being pushed by Amazon? I don't honestly know, but certainly uh I think the Pac-12. If if you ask them what is their ideal, my guess is their ideal would be some kind of mix between ESPN and Amazon, right? Um, and, and it's important, I think, for folks to remember that Amazon, because of the geography, Amazon is more deeply rooted within the culture of the West Coast than. You know, in that way, it makes more sense that if Amazon partnered with the SEC or the Big 12, right? I mean, they're based in Seattle. They Amazon wants the credit card for people who live in Seattle and Portland and the Bay Area, right? That is their target audience. Uh, very technologically savvy. Uh, you know, pretty demographics are good, right? That's That's Amazon's wheelhouse right there. And so that makes me think that maybe they would have some legitimate interest in, in partnering with the Pac 12 on on some kind of package, right? It is it does seem risky for the Pac 12 to go all in with Amazon, even if that were opportunity were there, because you do want to have your football product on, you know, broadcast television for for the eyeballs, right? I mean that the big Big Ten went all, all broadcast basically for for football. So I don't think the Pac 12 can sequester everything on Amazon Prime. Um, I think they need to have uh, a partner that has access to, to, you know, pay cable and, and over the air. The question is, you know, can they make that work with, with both the ESPN and Amazon? Would Fox be interested in some kind of small package, right? I mean, Fox has got 22 Pac-12 games and a lot of them are in the evenings. That's a lot of programming hours that Fox would have to figure out how to fill if they're not going to do the Pac-12. So I don't, I don't know exactly how it's going to end up, but, but it seems logical for the Pac-12 to want Amazon as a partner. It seems logical for Amazon. And it's just a matter of whether they can agree on a price and to what extent ESPN wants Pac-12 football at whatever price point it can get it, right? I mean, if there's no competition, ESPN going to lowball them. I think we all know that. ESPN is an ESPN by overpaying. Uh, so the Pac-12 needs somebody else to be interested. I don't know. Then you've got the issue with Amazon, with the streaming and ESPN plus, and could those two platforms work in some kind of umbrella deal? I don't know, but uh, it's really interesting. And the fact that this is all taking place with Amazon going, you know, uh, as the exclusive uh, home of Thursday night football and how Thursday night football is doing, which seems to be pretty good so far, you know more about that than I do, uh, John, but that backdrop is kind of adding to the, to the layers in this whole thing. If, if Amazon weren't going exclusive on the NFL this season while the Pac-12 is negotiating its rights, this, this may look different
0: voice of John Wilner with us for a few more moments. He's got to run, so do we, here in a few moments on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. You read John in the San Jose Mercury News, read him online. He's a college football insider and reporter. We love his insight. Okay, a fun one from what you know, a fun one just for what we do, conjecture, et cetera. From what you know and from what you understand, the, the belief has been that Oregon and Washington are two more targets by the Big Ten. I have put out there on this podcast, I'm not an insider, I don't do the reporting, but it would seem to me that it would make more sense that the Big Ten just goes full West Coast and grabs Washington, Washington State, Oregon, Oregon State, and even says to Cal and Stanford, we'll take you two, we'll take both of you two and the other other four, we'll pair you with USC and UCLA, now we have a Big Ten West, and that's the end, the disintegration of the Pac-12. What's your response to as little or as much of that as you want to respond to and all the uncertainty here? Do you believe, I guess the way I should ask it, do you believe that Oregon and Washington would also bolt without having the other schools, the other state schools with them? What, what do you believe is, is a likelihood here of how this plays out in your educated opinion? What do you think? Well, my somewhat educated opinion,
2: uh, I think that if you asked Fox, and, you know, to me, Fox is right there at the steering wheel of this whole thing, right, given how much Fox owns of the Big Ten network and the fact that the Big Ten network basically has the Big 12 grant of rights. I think if you asked Fox, their priority would be Florida. I think that they want to put the put the flag in Florida, right? Now, the ACC's grant of rights makes that more difficult. So uh, what happens... Uh, I think Oregon and Washington would leave their, their state schools. Absolutely. Uh, and I, for all the saber rattling that may happen from the state legislatures, I don't think that that would be blocked. Uh, I'm not sure that it makes sense for the big 10 media partners to include Washington, Washington state and Oregon state. You know, if you're going to do it to me, it seems more likely that you get Oregon, Washington, Stanford and Cal, right. Uh, let's not forget that there is there is an institutional element to this whole thing. And, you know, Big Ten presidents would love to rub shoulders with Cal and Stanford presidents, right? I mean, then you, you, they start getting into that Nobel Prize count and, and that matters to them, right? So to me, and you get the Bay Area market and you have a ton of Big Ten alums in the Bay Area, you get access to the tech money. So I kind of feel like, the thing that would make the most sense would just be Oregon, Washington, Stanford, and Cal. And that also would potentially limit how much the Big Ten media partners will have to pay, right? That's a big thing. They don't. I don't think they have any more money right now. They would have money if Notre Dame was interested. I don't think Fox and NBC and CBS have got more money right now to, to make more expansion happen this fall. Maybe they will in a few years, but they've got what they want They've got USC and LA, and they've got what they want, right? I mean, as somebody put it to me, if you're uh, if you're Fox, NBC, and CBS, you know every year that no matter how your selection process works, or where you're picking in the draft, you're going to get either Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan, USC, or Ohio State, USC, right? And that's a pretty that's pretty good if you're, if you're their partners. So I just feel like, uh, I, don't, I don't know that it's going to happen this fall. I think it will eventually, uh, maybe late in the decade, right before the Big Ten renegotiates its deal in 2029, 2030. But I, don't, I just don't know that it's going to happen in the next month or two before the Pac-12 agrees to a new media deal.
1: Right. Uh, to the topic of how things stand right now, right? As it stands right now, which sport takes the biggest hit from the departure of USC and UCLA? Because you could talk about football, you could talk about basketball, but you could also talk about gymnastics losing UCLA. You could talk about water polo losing USC and UCLA. I mean, is there a big 10 water polo without <laughs> USC and UCLA, right? Which sports do you think take the biggest hit from those two schools leaving?
2: Uh, yeah, that's a great question. When you get to the Olympic sports level, I certainly gymnastics, softball, uh, water polo. Um, you know, UCLA has got a powerhouse softball program. Uh, you know, men's basketball, I think that men's basketball takes a big hit, but the, if you're the Pac-12, you still have Arizona, right? That's, it's not UCLA, but it's still a pretty good, uh, brand. Uh, but football is so important to everything else, right It's so important to the revenue it's so important to your your campus activities and your fundraising and your organic income generation on campus that I think I think football gets hit the most and then there's just co- this massive amount of collateral damage right And certainly the football is is hit by the loss of USC uh, you know I think if UCLA to me was just because they needed a partner, right? They needed a second team from out here, and Fox wanted to dominate LA and box out ESPN. So they said, sure, let's take UCLA too. Um, but really the loss of USC football to me is is the biggest thing that will then set off this domino effect that's going to ripple through uh, a lot of sports. And we could end up seeing, Uh, Because of a revenue plunge, we could end up seeing some of these schools dropping sports, right? I mean, that's that's one of the real issues at play. And that's part of the debate with UCLA and Cal and the University of California Regents is the the damage it's going to do to Cal's revenue and what impact that could have. So to me, it all starts with USC football and kind of funnels down from there. But you're right that the Pac-12 has got a ton of great Olympic sports, and USC and UCLA are a big part of that success.
1: Yep, it'll be very interesting to see what the future holds for the conference, and – for those other universities. Uh, John, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, this has been uh, very interesting to learn about your process, uh, putting all this together, and to learn about what's potentially coming down the pike. Uh, just quickly before we let you go, you've talked about, you know, if, the, if there's no deal by the end of the uh, exclusive negotiating window, the timeline going forward from there. Uh, how how long do you think it'll it'll be before we know what the Pac-12 will look like on the media side going forward?
2: You know, I think first of all, when the Pac-12 announced on July 5th that it had authorized uh, the commissioner to begin negotiating its media rights deal, it never actually gave a timeline for George Kliachkov to to do that. Right? Everybody assumed that the exclusive negotiating window. With ESPN and Fox began then. But my sense has always been that there was an agreement with between the conference and the two partners that they would wait for the Big Tens deal to get done first so the ESPN and Fox knew exactly who was getting what and how much money was available and all that kind of thing. So I think that the exclusive negotiating window didn't start until the second half of August. I think the Big Tens deal was formalized like August 18th or something right around there. So my sense was the Pac-12's 30-day window started right about there. And so it would have come to a close probably in the last week or so. And the fact that we don't have a deal announced to me suggests that they have just started to go onto the open market to see what what they can get. And when you factor in that process alone, plus they have to calculate for expansion, I, I think it could be a couple more months right? Uh, I really do. I don't think that uh, they feel like there's any pressure. Nobody's going to leave for the Big 12 in the next couple of weeks, right? I mean, that's not happening. So I think we could end up getting into November before this is cleared up. I mean, if you use the Big 10 as a guide, didn't the Big Ten negotiations start somewhere in February or March? And it took basically six months. And so to think that Pac-12 is going to get its done in 30 days or 45 days, I think is unrealistic. I I bet you it goes, well, you know, maybe past the football season and before we know what's going to happen.
0: And John, I know we got to go quick answer on this one Uh, with 10 being locked. Certain you believe no matter what the PAC 12 survives one, they have no chance to survive. They're going (laughs) bye-bye. You put the number where right now, as we talk in late September of 2022. Six or seven. Okay. I mean, I've
2: never been. I've never been convinced that everything was was hunky dory, right? Uh, I actually have been posting odds. Uh, <laughs> you know, my, I've had the Pac-12 survival as a between a four and a five point favorite over Pac-12 extinction since June thirtieth, and it hasn't changed. Uh, and you know that probability that works out to about sixty six percent, right? I think that that is the, the most likely scenario is a Pac-12. The 10 schools will stick together and the conference will survive and sign a media deal. But I, I certainly don't think it's given by any stretch. I mean, you never know in realignment. You never know. And you can believe what somebody's telling you. You can believe this president or that chancellor. But until they sign on the dotted line,
0: you just don't know. It's a great way to end it, John Lewis. Indeed
1: it is. And thank you again, John. And we look forward to reading your updates on how this continues to progress over these next few months uh, with the PAC-12 and uh, its very uncertain future.
2: Hey, thanks very much for having me. It's been a great discussion.
0: And we thank John again for giving us insight on being able to break that story. Any concluding thought there? Interesting he has it at about a 6 or a 7 that the PAC-12 survives all this. There is still real uncertainty about that, John Lewis.
1: Yeah, well, you know, uh, it's, uh, I mean, the Big East basketball went away. I mean, it's still around under a different name. Why not the Pac-12? It'll be very interesting to see what happens going forward, especially in those smaller conferences, you know, or smaller sports. They don't have, for example, I mentioned gymnastics before, not every team in the Pac-12 has a program. So you take UCLA out, what do you have left? Cal, Oregon uh, State, uh, Arizona State, Arizona you know, uh, probably another one. I'm not even sure. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, you might start to see at those smaller sport levels, the conference start to eat away a little bit.
0: And you've got Title IX concerns there on the Olympic sports, uh, et cetera. Yeah. We, we know this. If Oregon and Washington and Cal and Stanford do jump and they use like a block of those those six with UCLA and USC for the Big Ten and the media rights, uh, that's it. That, no matter what the PAC, PAC 12 now PAC 10 tries to hold together, that's it. If that, if it comes to that and how much as he said, do you believe those presidents while they're looking right at you, grinning and saying one thing and they're doing a backroom deal that they're mm-hmm. not telling you about while well, that's going on. Okay. So a great conversation with John Wilner again, read him in the San Jose Mercury news. Let's wrap it up. Love it or leave it. Subject number one is the Aaron judge home run uh chase if you will in air quotes again this is not the major league record it's more or less the american league record to tie roger maris and try to pass him again we released the podcast on tuesday night uh, slash wednesday morning with the full understanding you may already know that he tied it or surpassed it in tuesday or wednesday action as the week unfolds for judge at the end of the regular season john love it or leave it the split screen they were using during college football on saturday that's gotten a lot of blowback from some fans about going split screen with the judge at bats. Uh, love it or leave it the extra coverage on the split screen. What do you think?
1: Well, I understand why it was annoying. Um, you know, you are watching college football for football, not baseball. Uh, Aaron judges a Yankee. That probably doesn't help matters. Uh, you know, and uh, I mean, it, it's demographically odd because it's a very Northeastern sport, baseball and a very Southern sport in uh, college football so you know uh certainly i know uh, sean mcdonough didn't like it uh, he kind of made that clear on the air <laughs> you know i mean it is what it is uh espn does that kind of stuff i remember uh, their first nba finals uh in june 2003 uh that day before game one that had a two-hour sports center special about sammy sosa's corked bat and then in that same series, the Astros no-hit the Yankees with, uh, I think it was uh, uh, six different pitchers, no-hitting yes. the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. Something like And they that. cut yeah. they cut into the finals game to, to talk about that, and it's like, I don't care. I'm watching the NBA finals, right? right. So, you know, I understand why people feel that way, uh, but, you know, it is what it is. He has to be just going to do what it wants and... That's just the way it
0: is. And Sean McDonough's point was they were in the overtime for Clemson and Wake Forest, which is a big matchup in the regular season of the ACC, early season, big matchup in overtime, dramatic. And you're doing the split screen thing for a a judge at bat. And McDonough's a former uh, national play-by-play guy for CBS baseball and obviously did the Red Red Sox for many years and may still be doing the Red Sox at least part-time. So it's not a baseball thing. It was more or less... You know, uh, hey, th- what what are people tuning in for? Was what his point right. was? No, exactly uh, on that. And uh, by by the way, uh, again, this is not going to go away uh, here on the at bats and the home runs with a chance uh, for him to still get past sixty one of them and maybe keep going. Keep in mind that that Bonds and McGuire were still hitting them the final weekend of the season when McGuire had the record breaking year in ninety eight, and then Bonds. What was it, 2001? I think it was that he got to 73. They were still hitting them on the final weekend of the season. In this case, the baseball regular season ends the first week in October in the middle of the week. Yeah. But you could still see him get to hypothetically a 65th home run or a 64th or 65th home run maybe that week uh, when they're wrapping up. And, you know, he's
1: only six away from being third all time. Right. So being behind Bonds at 73 and McGuire at 71, I think. And that would be historically significant, right? If he ends up having a 68 home run season, you wouldn't be able to just act like that was nothing. And remember the season does end later because of the lockout. So yes. it's going that midweek ending. It would have been ending. I think this coming weekend, this
0: weekend but they needed instead, the it's time.
1: going a few extra days. So we'll see what happens. It'll be very, uh, interesting, uh, very strong for September viewership for Sunday night baseball this past week. Uh, and, uh, We'll see if uh, TBS gets a nice big number tonight.
0: Love it or leave it. I always love to do this with you. I think I made mention on a previous podcast that uh, Mrs. Reeves and I are trying to binge our way through Yellowstone, the Kevin Costner uh, series off of, uh, off of Paramount and Paramount Plus um, to binge through. I frequently need updates from you. Are you trying to binge through anything right now with the sports also going on? or not, John Lewis, love it or leave it, a binge-worthy show right now for you? Well,
1: you know, I only binge TV shows I've seen a million times, uh, Seinfeld, things like that. But that's actually a good entry point, because I would like to advocate for the disbandment of uh, Rolling Stone. Um, So Rolling Stone has put together a list of the 100 greatest TV shows. And of course, because it's Rolling Stone, the list is terrible uh and
0: so you know uh, all i know so you're far, looking to go cancel culture on rolling stone because they left what off their list well like because they, they, tell me they they had to have seinfeld in the top 20 if not the top 10 that's not the issue is it
1: well i believe i don't know i, I think they had seinfeld at number six yes behind yes yeah, behind something called fleabag now i've heard of fleabag but i know it's not one of the five greatest shows So why else
0: are you lampooning rolling stone for their list
1: well, for one thing, Frasier is number 75. Now, just get out with that.
0: There's no credibility immediately. Mm-hmm. Frazier at
1: 75, one of the great shows ever made. But, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, the, the rankings are so divorced from the reality of what we've seen in TV, uh, you know, and to me, putting on shows that lasted for an eye blink and aired within the last five years, and not including, you know, or 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 not ranking highly shows that are among the most famous of all time that resonated with people across generations is absurd. So, you know, look, uh, to me, Rolling Stone should just kind of stick to whatever it is they do over there. I'm not really sure what it is at this point. And uh, you know, uh, it was always to-
0: popular culture, music, that kind of thing, some some TV or me or movie entertainment but uh with that so where's miami vice for example because my argument would be miami vice has got to be in a top 100 it's got to even be in a top 50 for me it's in a top 20 because miami vice revolutionized one thing friday night tv everybody now was willing to stay home and watch miami vice even adults before they went out it was that cool to watch that show especially the first two or three seasons it became a friday night iconic uh i don't i don't know that anything else on friday night has ever succeeded on tv the way that that show was regularly in the top 10 or number one week after week after week in the overall ratings as a friday night show so that that one's got to be there if well not, you I know,
1: know i mean i would I, I would bet money that miami vice isn't on that list uh, miami vice is not a streaming show that just started airing in the last five years so <laughs> uh it, it would not make the list it's It's got to be something with an audience of four hundred thousand people, all of whom live either in New York or Los Angeles in order to qualify for that list. If it resonates at all in the rest of America, it's just not just not acceptable for for that list. I will say my understanding is that they have The Simpsons as the number two show of all time mm. and uh The Simpsons at its prime, maybe you know. The Simpsons isn't even the greatest cartoon. It's not even the greatest adult cartoon. Certainly, if you broaden it out to children's cartoons, it's not the greatest either. Uh, But like, I mean, South Park has got to be because you have to at some point factor in the quality over the course of the entire series. And The Simpsons has been on for 30 years. And for two thirds of that time, it has been crummy. Now, South Park has not always been great. The movies that they're doing right now for Paramount Plus are pretty mediocre. But in terms of hit percentage, right? If you turn on an episode of South Park, it's probably going to be pretty good, just law of averages. If you turn on an episode of The Simpsons, maybe you'll get lucky and get one from the 90s. But you're, you're a lot more likely to get one from 2000 X, Y, Z. And if that's the case, it's probably going to be pretty
0: terrible. Yeah. It's so, interesting. Cause I'm yeah. looking while you're talking online, they did this ranking also f- uh, four years ago in 2018, and they don't have Seinfeld in the top 10 of that ranking. So they, they must've adjusted it. Oh, well, actually they did. They have it at, at number five. Uh, they had the Sopranos as number one on that, on that list from four years ago. So you're saying this is a newer, more recent list Yeah, they just that could, would have that. And again, they pull these out from time to time to get people to do what we're doing, which is talk about well, it, yeah, play yeah. it up, retweet it off of Twitter. I mean, uh, they got it because I mean, honestly,
1: what what are you reading Rolling Stone for? Otherwise, it's like, it's, it's not. It's this true. Isn't, I'm looking
0: the, for Miami Vice, which I don't see like in the top fifty unless I've gone by it. Which again. I realize millennials have a lot to do with the world, but don't give me this stuff that that wasn't an impactful show because you're under the age of 30 and you don't have any idea wow. what Miami Vice was back in the 1980s. I'm old enough to know. When people when people stopped what they were doing to watch this show on Friday night mm-hmm. and change their social plans to watch this show on Friday night, that's impactful. That's the word you're using.
1: I mean, look, I like what's her face? Uh, well, I'm, let's see. What's her name now? Natasha Leone. I like Natasha Leone. Okay. I, well, I don't. I wouldn't say I like her. That's too much. I'm aware of her, and I do not feel negatively toward her. But when you put Russian doll at number fifty-seven, some 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 flash in the pan that started in twenty nineteen, and you put Fraser on at seventy-five, this you know these are crimes against thought. All right. So you know, look, man. Uh, wh- what we the, as a sports media person sports media has a lot of people covering the industry that are good at what they do. Uh, If only there were good culture writers anywhere still, because that, that has just turned into a complete bubble, a complete bubble. It's basically, here's what me and my friends like, and that's pretty much all it is. And um, you know, again, Russian doll at 57 and Frazier at 75
0: that and, my, and have, Miami Vice, not in the top 50. I think we've got to have no
1: this. It's, I've never heard of I May Destroy You, it may be great. It launched in 2020. So, if you're going to tell me that a show that launched in 2020 is the 19th greatest show of all time, guess Watchmen, number 23, launched in 2019. This is ridiculous. I mean, what an awful list. And I know they designed it so it would be awful. So, you know, but ugh, just it's, it's, it's it's troll content. And again, you know, we, there needs to be actually, you know, there needs to be an actual culture website of quality that reflects the reality of what all of us see, not just what's within a very tiny little bubble.
0: Well done to end it up on love it or leave it. I know we've had fun on this podcast, talking all things, including college football, the NFL. Thanks again to John Wilner of the San Jose Mercury News, John Lewis, anything else in closing on this edition?
1: Uh, yeah, uh, maybe I should put together a list of the 100 greatest shows of all Get time. back
0: to us and put it out on sports media watch. I would look at it and it would, yeah. it would include some of your faves and my faves. I'm I'm sure well, it's not
1: even the- favorites. It's not even favorites. I mean, it's Best. just, you know, shows that it's a combination of things. It's a combination of quality. Yes, but I actually do think it matters. When a show resonates with a broad audience I think and that
0: longevity is- matters is yeah, it, longevity has it been is on more- for five years seven years a show like er that i All think right. in the previous 2018 rating for rolling stone they had er at number 50 that show was at the top yeah. of ratings and awards for over a decade and you've got it 50th just longevity yeah. i think has something to do with it we're trying to have longevity here we appreciate everybody yeah. being with us again hopefully with uh, hurricane ian there's not much uh, damage uh, that we, we believe there will be some. I'm here in the Tampa Bay area. Hopefully it's not in my area. Obviously, I don't want it to be anywhere where it's going to be damaging. Everything fluid here midweek, and we'll see what happens with the hurricane in my part of the world. John, always good to be with you. Appreciate it, as always, here on the podcast. And we encourage everybody to keep reading on sportsmediawatch.com. Thank you, sir. Thank you. There is John Lewis. Thanks also to John Wilner of the San Jose Mercury News. For now, we are good here on the latest edition of this program. Make sure you're following or subscribing. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, George Hoffman, by the way, on his podcast, tell me a story I don't know. Dan Hampton from the 85 Bears, big Chicago uh, football analyst personality still is there. And of course, Mike Gill and Phil demont Mollin do a great job with announcer schedules with different broadcasters and going over all the games and the announcers. They're all on this podcast feed, sportsmediawatch.com podcast feed. For now, for John Lewis, I'm TJ Reeves. Thanks for being with us here on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast.